You've tailored your resume, updated your portfolio, you drafted a beautiful cover letter. Your years of education, training, practice, all have led up to this point only to be confronted by a single, seemingly harmless obstacle, the submit button. You click it, a thank you screen appears. A moment later, a bing on your cell phone indicating a new email message. Thank you for applying. And you ask yourself, now what? This is First You Hustle, a podcast from the Columbus College of Art and Design meant to help students and budding creative professionals put their expertise to use. I'm Jordan Bell, and today we're venturing into the void, the human resources process. What actually happens to your application? What is the hiring process generally like? I sat down with our in-house HR expert to cover the details. The purpose is primarily to screen for fit. Now, again, that's just sort of a personal thing that I like to use as kind of a first uh, threshold. So I think fit is really important. That's today's guest. Hi, everybody. My name is Linda Simpson, and I am Director of Human Resources here at CCAD. And alert, the robot uprising has quietly begun. Why your biggest foe in the application process might not be human. Master tip number one is to make sure that you're updating your resume for every job that you apply for. Some small changes to reflect that job description will outsmart the robots. And after the robots, it's the humans. We'll help you deal with them, too. We'll give you some rules and expectations for the process, and we'll also tell you what a construction site, an airport terminal, and a bathroom stall all have in common. Here's a hint, not very good interview spots. Welcome back to another episode of First You Hustle. Today we're going to demystify what happens between hitting the submit button when you apply to a job and getting that day-changing phone call or email requesting an interview. Knowing what happens in between might change how you approach your application. I often give the advice that your application gets you the interview, not the job. But what gets you the interview? How do human resource professionals sift through sometimes hundreds of resumes? Do they read all of them? Linda Simpson has made a career in human resources and is relatively new to CCAD but not new to the recruiting and hiring game. I started working in human resources in the automotive industry in Michigan and then relocated to Columbus to work for Honda a long time ago and essentially never left. That was 25 plus years ago. So have a lot of experience um, hiring people and um, have worked a few different positions myself. So I have experience you know, firsthand both as a candidate and as a hiring manager. And now a note on applicant tracking systems. We're going to return to our conversation with Linda in a second, but before we do, you should know that human resources offices commonly, especially at big companies, use software to manage applications. These are called applicant tracking systems, and they help the HR team process applicants, move them to different stages, and keep track of important information. Part of doing this means they need a lot of information. If you've applied to a job before, there's a good chance you've used one of these systems. They typically require you to create a login. You build a profile by putting in your name, address, work history, and so forth. You can upload documents and attach them to your application. Some have a progress bar that takes you through each step. But it is the ATS, for short, that Linda and I myself too refer to as the robot. It is common for these systems to scan resumes and cover letters for keywords. So let's check in with Linda again. After the application has been submitted, it becomes part of a broader set of resumes that many different applicants submit. So 
you know, needless to say, you are in competition with others. So it is it is important before you do hit submit to make sure that your resume is clean, clear, packaged nicely, and that you have included clear representation of the different aspects of the job as posted in your resume. What that means is that you should always do uh, a check and a double check to ensure that some of the exact same words and phrases used in the job description are in your resume. That will give you an edge over others in the pool so that you stand out. So many times, many positions, there are dozens, maybe hundreds of applicants for a single job. And what I want to help you understand is that, you know, a lot of times there's just one recruiter sorting through all those things. So we hire or use robots to filter resumes. What that means is that you have a better chance of having your resume selected and moved to the top of the pile, so to speak, in the system if you've used those exact words and phrases uh, in your resume that are listed in the job description. So I would say that's tip number one. Master tip number one uh, for getting a job and getting noticed is to make sure that you're careful about updating your resume for each and every job that you apply for. Might not require large changes, but certainly some small changes to reflect that job description will outsmart the robots. Every organization uses different language and, and vocabulary to talk about the same types of jobs. So, you know, whereas, um, you know, one organization might call for, you know, burgundy, another might say chartreuse. So just make sure that you're using the language that that robot is going to pick so that your recruiter sees your resume. Most resumes, in all candor, are never reviewed. The recruiter doesn't have time to get to them or doesn't take the time to get to them or relies on the robot entirely to review the six or seven resumes that are filtered out of the pool. How do you find these keywords to include in your application? Well, they're actually advertised to you. They're right there in the job description. But getting past the robot doesn't mean you are free and clear. I've heard some baffling stories from recruiters before. Some have tried to hide keywords in the description in white text so that the robot reads it, but the humans can't see it, and they just kind of put in every sort of keyword they can think of. But then, and I, I don't know why the person doing this didn't consider it, then a human needs to read it, and they end up trashing it because it didn't really make sense. So I think this might have been uh, catfishing before catfishing was a thing. I was once on a hiring committee, and I reviewed a cover letter that sounded great. This person was such a natural fit. And then I realized that, they had essentially just copied the job description and added clauses and pronouns to put it in their voice. But they were using our language verbatim, so that one also went into the trash. The key here is to find a middle ground. You know, Speak their language, but don't do so as a formality, and also don't plagiarize. Incorporate key words from the job description where you can, but you don't need to lift entire phrases or copy things verbatim. Once a human looks over your application, they will take further considerations and, unlike robots, consider a lot of other context about what you've done, where you did it, and the type of work and how it relates to the position at hand. They'll whittle down their applicant pool to those that they want to reach out to. So after you've outsmarted the robot and been selected for your recruiter to look at your resume, if there's a match between your qualifications, both in terms of experiences and educational background, um, the next step then would be typically for the recruiter to schedule what we call a phone screen. In my book, now everyone's different, you know, but I typically conduct a 15-minute phone screen. Some recruiters do a half an hour phone screen. It's usually not video, but it can be video. 
Um, if I have a really high high level job or something that's really specialized, I'll schedule Skype. I call them Skype screens. So those uh, phone screens turn into something I call video screens. The purpose is primarily to screen for fit. Now again, that's just sort of a personal thing that I like to use as kind of a first uh, threshold. So I think fit is really important. So I'll screen for that in a phone screen by asking just sort of general questions as a means to decipher whether or not that candidate is a good fit with our organization's culture. Yeah, so when you prepare for a phone screen or quite frankly a full-blown interview, um, I would encourage, if, it, if it's a video phone screen, or you're preparing for a live in-person interview, master tip number two would be always overdress. Being on time is late, being early is on time. So in addition to that, I would say, again, preparing for a phone screen or a live in-person interview, have at least three questions that you wanna ask, jot it down somewhere, um, and have at least three things that you want to be certain to say at some point in the discussion. So things that call attention to your strengths. So even if unprompted, you're going to say those things. Just taking the time to articulate the questions and ask them um, says a lot because it demonstrates to a recruiter that you've done your homework, so to speak, and are prepared and think and act that way. And those are good qualities to have in a hire. So I think it's more about that than the questions themselves. I would say for every hour that you're going to be interviewing, you should invest at least that in preparing. And uh, you know, in addition to the three questions that you want to ask and the three assertions that you want to express, um, I make it a habit to advise you know prospective um, applicants to know as much as they can about every person that they're going to be interviewed by. That means getting on LinkedIn. That means scouring the internet. That means looking at portfolios. That means looking at anything that you get your hand on. At a minimum, applicants should know um, the schools where the people that you're interviewing with um, have attended, their degrees. They should know um, kind of a, at a high level the professional experiences that they've had because that provides context. And most importantly, you're searching for a diamond in the rough. And I would say this is kind of you know, my master tip number three, and that is find something in common with every person that you interview with. So for example, uh, you might find that, uh, I'm from Michigan, so you might find that somebody that you're interviewing with is also from Michigan or went to school in Michigan. So that provides a, a common foundation to start a conversation that might help you stand out in a way that's more noticeable than other candidates they have that may have met with that person. Once you're in the interview, more or less you've passed a certain bar of qualification, but the interview process separates the qualified into two categories, strong fit and weak fit. You want to be a strong fit. Fit comes from how well you mesh with the company culture and mission. Ideally, you want to interview in a way that makes the company feel like you're already part of the team. They're going to assess how well do you interact with people. Does your personality fit well? This is the chemistry part of the interview, and it's the hardest to nail because you can't really fake it. But through research, you can at least have an expectation of decorum. This is a phrase used in persuasion that means you want to match the expectations your audience has of how you should be. Once you do that, your audience, in this case the employer, finds you agreeable. There are three argument types. Argument by logic, argument by emotion, and argument by character. In this case, argument is a polite term that simply means you have an agenda and you want your audience to go along with it. 
doesn't really mean fight. So it might be that you have the logical argument locked down. You're qualified for the job, you can do the job really well, and you consistently perform above expectations. But without convincing the employer that you have the character, it will be harder for them to hear you out on the logic. Think of it this way. Let's say you get hit by a car and a person in a Van Halen t-shirt immediately runs up and starts to give you medical attention. Are you concerned? I mean, I would be, at first at least. But if the person who runs up to me is in full medical scrubs, then I'm fairly confident they know what they're doing. Once they start getting to work, I'll know for sure. But in a limited amount of time, I'm going to give my fullest attention and benefit of the doubt to the person who appears to embody my expectations of what a medical professional is. Similarly, you want to show up to that interview embodying the expectations the company might have for someone in the position you're being considered for. And then I'd say, dial it up just a tad more professional than that. The expectations are the minimum requirements. Try to exceed them a little. Your expectations are not just clothes and cleanliness. It's also attitude and mood. So know the culture that you're interviewing with and then match that. So if you're entering a, an ad agency that is, uh, you know, liberal and, you know, leaves a lot of room for creative expression, awesome, great. You know, display your tats, piercings, fine, you know, but if you're interviewing with an organization that is a little more conservative, maybe a little more buttoned up, a little less liberal with regards to creative expression, then, you know, maybe wear longer shirts, you're not expressing as much, maybe, you know, be careful about, you know, what piercings that you wear, that sort of thing. So just know your culture and then kind of dress to that culture, but always exceeding whatever the minimum expectation would be, again, so you stand out. Of course, this is liberal with a small L and conservative with a small C. We're not talking politics here. So in that regard, if you're ever unsure, conservative or tradition is always a good side to err on. By that I mean, if you show up to dinner with friends and you're wearing full-on formal evening attire, I mean like stuff you wear to the opera like a tuxedo or a beautiful evening gown, and everyone else is in t-shirt and shorts, you might feel a little silly. But how much more silly would you feel if you showed up in a t-shirt and shorts and everyone else was in formal evening attire? So I say, if in doubt, dress up. You can always loosen up, but it's harder to do the reverse. This goes for your manner too. If you're interviewing with a few people at a company and the atmosphere is loose and fun, the conversation casual, people laughing and having a time, you can reflect that too. But if you show that up that way and the atmosphere is strictly business, then it's pretty much game over. So start on the side of business and then through the cues of the environment, Loosen up and only if appropriate. But don't forget, interviews are intended to gauge your qualifications for a certain job. So even with the atmosphere and mood being loose, always focus your conversation responses on why you're interested in the position, why you're qualified, or why you'd be a good fit. Also, know that employers should be focused on evaluating these things and essentially only these things. There are protections against evaluating candidates on criteria that could be considered discrimination. I want all applicants to know that you are protected by law, um, and um, if an organization asks a question that pertains to anything other than your experiences relative to the position that you're applying for, you don't have to answer it. However, my advice would be that you do answer it and be true to yourself when you are answering it. But I think the um, that what you do following that interview is important. So. Um, I would really have less interest in a position where an organization asks questions of a personal nature that um, pit your personal characteristics that have nothing to do with your personal, your professional background up against that job. The things that are protected by law that should not be a part of a hiring manager's decision to hire or not hire a candidate 
pertain to age, like you say, sexual orientation, pregnancy status, things of that nature. So um, anything that that's outside of your own personal, you know, and professional qualifications for a position. Always focus on getting the job offer. Unless something extreme happens, there is seldom a good reason to stand up and walk out of an interview. So if a question comes up that is kind of fishy, follow Linda's advice and answer it. You can always reevaluate your interest in the company afterward. It'll be pretty clear when the conversation is discriminatory in a malicious way, and hopefully you're never in that scenario. But there's also a lot of gray area. For example, let's say you know, you're out to lunch as part of an interview, and one of the people interviewing you is pregnant. Conversation is casual, and everyone's just getting to know you. They ask, hey, have you ever considered having kids? Or do you have kids? Are you married? Technically, they shouldn't be asking, but the context doesn't appear to be malicious. So instead of awkwardly pointing out, hey, you can't ask me that, you should answer, but... I'd also say keep it vague and try to change the subject. If they ask again, repeatedly ask about the same thing, you know, your race, your orientation, religion, whatever it might be, then that might be a signal that they're up to no good. But a casual mention or question doesn't necessarily signal the alarms to get out as fast as possible. Feel out the situation and evaluate it along with everything else. You can always say no or turn down an offer later. I have a term I call feel factor. And how you feel when you're with the hiring manager and the rest of the team who's part of the process is important. How you feel when you are at the work site is important. How you feel treated during the entire process, both before, during, and after, you know, the, the interviewing process is important. So just pay attention to that. Okay, let's talk about money for a second. At some point, you'll be asked your salary requirements. In fact, sometimes it's even in the application itself when you first apply. And there are reasons why they ask. Often a position is budgeted for a certain range. Now, yes, employers will try to get you for as low as possible in most cases, but they also hopefully are trying to be competitive and giving you a fair wage. HR asks for salary mostly because they're looking for people on the high end that are unaffordable and want to weed them out of the process first. But I can understand that you might be considered about, you know, putting yourself too low and being that bargain bin type of candidate. It can be used to weed out candidates who might otherwise be qualified because a lot of times organizations are trying to save money and they might go with a given two equally qualified candidates, they might go with someone who's perceived to be more affordable. So I would say handle the question with care and the best way to be in control and do that is to know that the compensation for the position before you come on site for the live interview. So that's something that you could ask during your phone screen. What does this position pay? And then just make sure that when you're asked about that, that your pay is within that range. And if you're not willing to be hired for that salary, then you shouldn't be interviewing for the job in the first place. My experience, and I've been doing this a long time, is that most recruiters are pretty straightforward and they're not going to play a game with you. We're going to be honest with you about the, the salary and the salary range. Something to be sensitive about is that um, I think millennials are different from other generations of applicants in that there can be a sense of uh, value maybe beyond years of experience. So just be sensitive and respectful and mindful of the pay that accompanies that position so that you don't overstep and expect too much. There's certainly a lot to consider when evaluating a job, and it isn't all based on salary. That feel factor is big. Also, the growth opportunity, work environment, and type of work you'll be doing. You know, will this job help you get to the next level of your career further down the road? Put all of those things into consideration. And the bottom line is preparation. It is key. So I would say do your homework, 
I know this is hard, but be as relaxed as possible during the interviews. Be mindful of rambling on and on or not saying enough. So it's really important to be on your game, which means eating really well the day before, getting proper sleep, not being over-caffeinated um, so that you can actually have an engaging conversation with you know the person doing the hiring. The more you prepare, the better off you'll be. You won't appear nervous. You won't get caught off guard. You'll have quick, intelligent responses to questions and follow-ups. If you front load the preparation, the interview itself will become a whole lot easier. And this is the best part about being prepared. You'll know that you gave it your all. You did the best you could possibly do and left it all on the table for their consideration. After all, that's all you have control over in the process. As good as you can do. So do your best, leave it out there, and then the decision that comes down is the decision that comes down. But at least you won't have any regrets that you could have done it any better. process of being considered shouldn't be a surprise. Manage your time and ask questions when things are unclear. HR professionals and recruiters want the process to be as clear as possible, and they're generally happy to help clarify information. With that, here are some anecdotes I've gathered over my years as a career advisor spanning multiple institutions, student types, and majors. These are all things that I've really witnessed. One morning at work, I went down to the bathroom. As I enter, I hear a voice in the stall. Hello? At first, I think he may be talking to me, but before I can respond, he continues, Yes, this is... person's name. Thank you for taking the time to interview me. I'm very excited about the position. This guy was doing an interview. On the phone. In a bathroom stall. Forgetting that sitting on the toilet that long is not good for your health, this is also a very active bathroom. People are coming in, flushing toilets, running water... And those are just the appropriate noises I can tell you about. I know students' lives are very busy, and there's a lot going on, and multitasking is usually a good thing, but in this case, I can't imagine his interview was off to a very good start. Personally, I've also been the candidate who found themselves in a noisy phone interview environment. When I was in school, I knew of a quiet, accessible place I could do an interview between classes. I didn't have time to get home, but I knew the student union dining area was always empty at this particular time. In fact, There were some even like private dining meeting room type places that I could use. But unbeknownst to me, there were some other people who were counting on this part of the union being empty so that they could get some work done. A construction crew. I fought through hammering and cutting throughout the entire phone screen. It didn't help that somehow this entire crew was not present when I arrived, but two minutes in miraculously manifested from thin air with power tools blazing. For that particular job, I did get a call back for a second round, which was lucky. When the phone screen was over, I thought for sure I had lost the opportunity. I couldn't think straight. I had to run to other parts of the union to find quietness while I was talking. It was just a mess. And I've seen a few times where it appears someone is doing an interview in an airport. I've seen this multiple times. Which means if you're doing an interview in an airport... Okay, wait. Hold on. Um, Okay, so if you're doing an interview in an airport, it it means that every few minutes... Okay, I think it might be ending soon. Let's just hold on. Every every few minutes, you're competing with someone else's voice right in your ear. 
For phone screens, take the time to prepare your environment. Find a quiet place. Make sure it has a reliable phone connection. That means you get cell phone reception or you can use a landline if one is there. Ideally, find a place you and only you have access to. You can have notes. Make sure you're comfortable, but not too comfortable. You know, Treat it like you would a real interview. Sit at a table or a desk. Have your resume and cover letter you, that you send to the employer in front of you. Have a spare piece of paper for notes. You can even prepare notes ahead of time for things that you want to make sure you hit. But I've also seen people fumble right out of the gate. I mean, as soon as the whistle blows to start the game, immediately crashing and burning. I'm talking about the phone call or email you get from the company inviting you to interview. I've seen students ignore those messages for weeks, only responding once the recruiter has long moved on. I've seen the responses be frustratingly vague. When a company emails you to set up an interview, they usually propose times and days. If they do not, you should propose some times that work for you. I've also seen responses that aren't very accommodating. For example, one student told me they were about to decline an interview because they wanted the employer wanted to do it at 5 p.m., which granted is kind of an odd time to do it at the end of the day, but the student's reason to decline was because, quote, I eat dinner at 5 o'clock. Now, routine is great, but there's also something to be said for, you know, eating dinner at 5.30 just that one time so that you can do the interview. And they were about to decline, not reschedule. They were going to pass on the interview altogether. It's like saying, I can't interview today because I'm eating. I can't interview tomorrow because I'm washing my hair. I mean, at some point, do you want the job? And I've seen students get an interview, show up to the interview, and then say they aren't interested in the job. Why did you take the interview? Recruiters want to interview people who are qualified and interested. I'm still not sure why this student even applied. And Sadly, this is actually a composite story from the few times I've seen this happen. Sometimes students feel they're swept up and I need to interview because I was invited. You don't need to, but if you're going to interview, be interested in the position. So don't go on and on about the other companies you're more interested in. Don't try to play hard to get. Be punctual and responsive. Within 24 hours is expected for an email response. And if you need more time, respond within 24 hours saying that you need more time. Ask teachers to let you out of class for an interview if it's the only time you can do it. Don't hesitate to ask for more information on the interview. They will usually tell you if it's a phone or in-person interview, but who will you be talking to? For how long? Is there anything special you should prepare for the conversation? Seasoned professionals will tell you right away. They might say something like, send us your available times and days. Once we schedule something, I'll send over more information about who is interviewing you. But if there is no expectation that that's coming, feel free to ask. Do you know who might be interviewing me? Do you know how long this interview might take? Things like that will help you prepare properly. And if you are hard to communicate with or give the runaround, then you know, you've already lowered your chances. You haven't yet earned the right to be desired. They don't know you yet. So be excited, respond quickly and professionally, and earn their admiration. I don't like to compare the recruiting process to a game, although I suppose I just did a minute ago, but there is one way it is a little bit of a game. You want to always earn the offer. If you are interested in the company, but you're applying elsewhere, or you think you might go to grad school, or you're just not 100% sure about this opportunity, earn the offer. Work to get the offer. That means you give it 110% effort when you apply, interview, follow up, etc. And then once you have the offer, the ball is in your court, maybe even for the first time. You know, you have control of the situation. You can say yes. You can say no. But if your confidence is shaky, your interest is waning, or you're just hard to get a hold of, then you'll make them say no, and you've lost the option. You forced them to give the answer. By earning the offer, you get to decide what the answer is. So that's our episode. I thought it would be a good idea to peel back the HR curtain a little and let you know what 
the recruiter on the other side of the table or phone line or internet connection is thinking and how they process applicants. If you know the context of what happens in each stage, you'll be better prepared to pass through it. We've done episodes very closely related to this one, so go back and listen or re-listen to episodes like the application process where we dive into more details on resumes, cover letters, and interview prep, as well as episodes on networking and the pitch, our very first episode, where we focused on how important your presentation as a candidate is. In fact, all our episodes are highly related to each other. It's a web of skills and guides that will help make you well-rounded and able to take on any scenario. All right, that's all we have for this week. So thanks as always for joining us. Take care. Our theme is Jimmy H. Boogaloo by the Juanitos, Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive.